Hey, what's up everyone? Mac here. Uh, just wrapped up our first interview of the podcast. I uh, interviewed a longtime friend of mine, Tyler Thini, uh, who is a, a very successful sales manager, uh, basically opened up his own division after a high performance level uh, with his organization. They basically gifted him his own division, which he's turned into an eight to nine million dollar organization in under two years uh, for the main ownership group. So Tyler talks a lot with me this evening about you know what he defines as success. He doesn't let others define his success, and he kind of shares some thoughts from a, a, you know something he picked up from Brian Callen, the famous comedian. We also talk a little bit about you know managing our time and you know the importance of tracking it, and, and frankly the value of time that you know both his parents and, and you know my family also taught me individually or taught us together, I should say. Tyler really kind of goes into detail about what he's looking for uh, in his staff when he's looking to hire and things that, you know, are difficult to train. So I, I really think if you're someone that's in a sales role um, or just a father or another parent trying to become, you know, a little bit more in tune with what's going on around you and understanding that you're not alone in some of the things that we go through, this is definitely an episode for you to pay attention to. Um, I do want to say the audio is a little messed up. I, I adjusted my gain about 20 minutes into the podcast and it did throw some things off, and so I do apologize that uh, my audio kind of drops out a little bit, but if you just kind of turn your volume up, it should take care of it, and I definitely think we'll get that taken care of in the future, but that's totally on me. won't happen again, but please uh, leave me your comments. Uh, send me your DMs. Send me your text messages. Call me. Uh, any feedback is appreciated, and, and above all else, please share this. You know, really my goal is nothing more than to, you know, create a community of conversation, you know, with other individuals and like-mindedness, kind of trying to find that balance between work and family life, uh, but mainly trying to make sure that they can give you know, as much as they possibly can back to their family. Uh, but hope you're enjoying this and, and look forward to continuing the conversation. Be well. Hey, and welcome to Sales Dads. My name's Mac. Uh, today, I'm actually joined by a really good friend of mine, someone that I was just reminded we've known each other now for nearly 15 years. Uh, that'll make you feel old, but uh, I'm joined today by my good friend, Tyler Thini, who's a very close friend of mine that I've known since our time together at Sanford University, uh, where we were both students together. Uh, we met uh, valeting for the same company uh, while also being students and RAs together. Uh, we also share a pretty unique passion for cars and a little bit of hunting. Uh, but Tyler's worked in, started off by working in the retail sales industry for quite some time um, in the essentially business to business side of things before he eventually jumped into other types of sales. Uh, Tyler currently works in a uh, business-to-consumer sales industry, uh, currently working for, I believe, the largest exterior home remodeling company uh, in the U.S. Um, Tyler actually has a wife, and they just recently welcomed their first child, Olivia, who's just over the age of six months old. And we're really excited to kind of welcome Tyler today and talk a little bit more about what makes him successful and how he values his time and how he makes his, his team that he manages successful as well. So Tyler, man, thanks for coming on here, brother. It's good to see you. Thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. It's uh, it's a pleasure. I'm glad to see you doing this thing. Well, it's weird because you know every time you know I log in and I do this, I just kind of feel awkward about doing it, and it's just I don't know. I think there's like a little bit of imposter syndrome, but at the same time, I don't really necessarily buy into imposter syndrome. I mean, granted, I, I just think that it's like fear of what others think, right? And so, and that you know I think is applicable to the sales field as well. You know what we do. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was just thinking about this whole imposter syndrome thing recently because there was another podcast entirely unrelated to sales and they were talking about the idea of fake it till you make it. And it's like, mm. to some extent, that's a very real thing. And then to some extent, it's not because it's like, you know whether or not you have the skills to be there. It's just sometimes you have to develop those skills a little bit a long way. So sometimes to me, that's like, 
I don't know. Those things to me are tied in as far as like imposter syndrome and the idea of like faking it till you make it. Cause it's like, well, you typically have to develop some skills to like get to a proficiency level, but that doesn't mean yeah. you're necessarily like an imposter, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of a weird, I feel like we could it's do a, a whole hour long talk just on imposter syndrome. No, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think it's a blend. And I think, I mean, to some degree, like none of us get good at what we do without repetition, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. you're, you know, when you go through, you know, and, and I don't know your industry, but when you go through your flow uh, or when you're training your guys to go through their flow on, on, you know, on their, you know, visits each evening, you know, they're not going to be good at this first time out. It's, you know, as my oldest now is about to turn five this year, it's, you know, she struggles with this idea of not being perfect at something immediately. And it's the same thing there as a dad. It's like trying to get, trying to get your kids to realize, Hey, you don't, you're not going to be amazing at this first time through. And then ironically, sometimes I expect the same of myself and, and I have to remind myself of the same thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a funny thing. Um, the like perfectionist that you see in people and, you know, it's the old 10th hours, 10,000 hour adage of like, you got to mm-hmm. do it for 10,000 hours. And it's like, how many things have you really done for 10,000 hours? And then I always wonder like the things that I have done for 10,000 hours, I'm still not very good at them. It's like, Oh boy, it might be like a 50,000 hour kind of adventure. here. <laughs> it's like, how many times can you make a cup of coffee? It's like, well, you make a lot of cups of coffee, but how many times are you going to do a different scenario for each kind of sales, you know, you know, moment you're yeah. going into and like that, that's a lot different, isn't it? Yeah, it's so. a it's a wild thing, but man, it's it's been cool seeing you start this up. So I appreciate you asking me to be on here. It'll be fun. Well, thanks, man. I'm I'm, I'm glad to have you on. You're you're the first guest, so I really appreciate you making the time. But I mean, how how's life nice in honor. general? I mean, y'all will just it, yeah. I hope it's an honor. You're you're hilarious. But I mean, y'all just got settled. You've been in Huntsville now almost two years. Is that right? Uh, about a year and a coming up on a year and a half. So um, we moved down here in March of twenty. 20- to yeah yeah because it's 23 now um yeah so it's been really cool um huntsville is is a pretty interesting place in the way that it's growing um Mm -hmm. you know i feel like i feel like you look across the country right now and everywhere there's just an ungodly amount of construction going on and i wonder who's moving into all these places and everyone says there's a housing shortage everywhere and i don't I don't quite know if I buy into that entirely. Like, uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, are ghosts living in these? Like, who is buying these places? But um, Huntsville's growing, like, at an insane rate. Um, It was listed as the USA Today, like, number one place to live for, like, two out of the last three years. And I think this year was number two on the list. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of interesting things. And it's every industry you can imagine, you know, it's a very intelligent market. It's, it's kind of a tough market to sell to. in that like, we joke that like you can throw a rock and hit an engineer here. Like you, you go out to a bar and every person it's you true. meet at the bar is an engineer of some type, um, whether it's government contracting or NASA or the car manufacturers or whatever it is. It's just, it's just engineers everywhere. So it's a very yeah. educated market. It's a, it's a really cool place to live. You know, I, I just saw a news break this morning, actually, and it was saying that U.S. Space Command decided to pass on establishing their, their center in Huntsville. And when you go look at the photos that they use for the pitch, even though two different independent, um, I believe, consulting agencies did the research for them and both recommended Huntsville, the photos that were presented to the, U, the U.S. Space Command made it look dated. And it's like, what in the world? Like, Huntsville is honestly one of the most 
unique cities in the country from the, as you just mentioned, they mean the amount of engineers in one location, the amount of knowledge in one location, um, very capable in, in modern town. It's kind of surprising they're kind of getting the bump. That got a weird, that got a weird like news story too, because I didn't understand it initially because I, I just, I just happened to see online somewhere it, something about what you, exactly what you were saying about the photos and they shared like a, a very recent photo just the other day of like the downtown, the kind of skyline and showing the rocket over at the NASA yeah. center here. And then they showed the one and it was almost like they desaturated all the photos that they used for the submission. Mm -hmm. It was really, really weird. And there's been a lot of like, controversy around like was this all like a big yeah i don't know is this a, some big conspiracy theory to keep it out of huntsville but at the same time like i laugh because it's the people that are in huntsville um are like good stay away please stay away like there's enough people here we don't need more people like it's already growing at a crazy rate but i, don't I know. get it i mean you know you know we're dealing with that here in nashville having you know oh my gosh born born and raised here man like i i grew up in an area i think my parents, you know, their my childhood home was my dad bought it for two hundred grand, and uh, I looked it up just by happenstance last last year, and it, it sold for like nine seventeen. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like this is dumb. It's just stupid. Um, it's like my my parents didn't sell it for even six hundred thousand, right? So it's it's just like it's nuts to think of like what what's happening with growth in, in different parts of the country. But I mean, you're you're in the forefront of that right now, and we'll get to that. But where I I kind of want to yeah. kick things off, brother, is you know you right out of college jumped into sales role. So, I mean, did you know that this was something you always wanted to do being in a sales position or did you just kind of fall into it? Not really. So I, I'm kind of a weird one. So my, my degree was in economics at Sanford and I remember that. Um, my original plan was to go and pursue graduate school. So I really, really enjoy teaching. I always have, if it's something that like I'm passionate about, I enjoy teaching and helping people. Um, so my initial plan, graduate school in economics is a little weird. So if you go the grad route, you either go master's or PhD, but you don't need to go get your master's before you go get your doctorate. Like you can earn them concurrently. And so I was actually accepted into the PhD program at University of Kentucky. Um, and the initial plan was I was going to go up to Kentucky. They have a great econ program. Um, I was going to go up there and do it. And um, something about it just didn't feel quite right. I don't, I've never been able to put my finger on exactly what it was. Um, so I jumped out of it and it was a super weird time because I graduated a semester early as well. So I was like, I was in this weird stage where I'm like trying to find a job in January and none of my friends are going through it. Um, but my dad had always been in sales. So I, I kind of came from a couple of generations of sales guys. And so my dad encouraged me to look at it and you know, my mother's always told me I could carry a conversation with a brick wall. So like that, that tends to help in sales. Um, you and and so you and I I yeah, so like, you know, I'd, I'd worked a little bit of retail and you and I had worked together in the ballet world and done these things where you have a little bit of the sales aspect, but it was more of like a service than anything. And so I got my first offer in the sales world for Verizon Wireless working in a retail store. Um, mm -hmm. I started there. I, I worked for them for about two years. Um, you know, it started as just a straight up, just a retail store, just helping anyone coming in. And then my role technically never changed, but I got more into the business side of things because we had some family connections into some um, some some of the medical world down in Dothan. There's a lot of medical there um, where I'm from, and. Um, that was at the time where everyone was kind of shifting to just starting to use iPads for actual business purpose. So this is like 2010, 2011. 
And so doctor's okay. offices were just kind of figuring like there were these new softwares coming out. And so they were trying to figure out like, okay, can we carry these around and use these for patient records? And so I started doing these deals where I do four, five, 12, 25 iPads for a doctor's office. And I was making, you know, a pretty good chunk of change in commission on these things. And that was sort of when the bug bit me. Um, and, you know, it, I, I've never really looked back in the sense that like, I've all, I've looked into other industries and I've kind of jumped around, you know, I went from Verizon to, um, I worked for a, a, um, a large tobacco company for about five years. Um, that was, that was more in a true business to business role. And then I went into like the disposables packaging world for a couple of years. Um, and that was very like, this. yeah, that was great. It was a mutual friend of ours got us, got me connected in that. That was the first like hardcore sales role I had. And what I mean by like, when I say hardcore sales, it was hundred percent commission. Um, you know, there's no base to anything. You eat what you kill. Um, go develop your own territory. And I remember it was funny because like they didn't even have a CRM at, of any kind. Like there was, yeah, your eyes light up. Like I had a, yeah, dude. I, dude, I had an $8 million territory with 30 customers that had no CRM. Like we were in the AS400, like old school black and green, like DOS system. <laughs> and I remember asking my boss, and this is, I'll be honest, this is kind of, he was a great boss. Um, I remember asking him one day, I was like, Hey, you don't, you don't have any kind of like tracking into what I do day to day. And he told me, he said, if I didn't trust you to go out and chase business and do your job, I never should have hired you to begin with. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man, those are kind of wise words to live by. And so I've always tried to manage in a similar way where it's like, dude, I don't need to be looking over your shoulder. Like if I don't trust you enough to like expect you to go out and do your job and do it the right way, like I don't need to be hiring you. It's that yeah. simple. Um, yeah, it's a it's a real old school way of hiring, and and I personally don't see that much anymore. Right? It's it, I see more micromanaging than ever before. It's only in it's only frankly in kind of dated companies, and I I feel like I see it more in companies that have less middle management. And there's mm -hmm. like you basically have sales guys and maybe like a general manager, and then it's like the president of the company. Like it's yep. it's almost like these old school like family run organizations because they're like, hey, I'm not going to employ somebody in the middle for 150, 200 grand a year just to be your babysitter. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, that's that's at least my perspective on it. But yeah, so I, I've jumped around. I've seen a couple of different industries. And um, yeah, sales has always just kind of been home for me. Like as stressful as it is, and we all know it, like, you know, the impending doom of another quota or something going wrong. But it's like, there's something about it that keeps you coming back. Well, you know, let, let's go to that for a second because I think for me, and I want to hear your your take on this and your wife's kind of what you hear back from your wife. So, you know, I, I routinely, you know, you'll hit that, you know, that roller coaster moment where every quarter, some some folks, it's every month, right? You do hit that dip, right? And mm. and like, you know, what the hell's going on? Da, 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 da. <laughs> you know, other choice words that I'm trying to be better about not saying since I've got sure. three kids now. Um, I can hear my wife right now in my ear. Uh, but my, my point here is, you know, it's, I, my wife hears me get frustrated, right? And I, I work from home and, you know, she, oh, you do this, you know, it's, it's all every, you know, six to seven weeks, like it's going to be fine. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm such a competitor with myself to always be hitting, you know, at the top and I do, but even those low end short-term dips annoy me. 
how do you respond to those? I mean, I, I finally now have a way to respond to those where I don't let it bother me, but how do you choose to respond in those moments? Yeah, it's kind of, that's a good question because it's like, I was kind of in one of those last week, end of last week, okay. like, uh, yeah, I guess like Thursday, Friday night, I think it was Thursday night. It was almost like this build up. like, I'm not a real anxious person, but it was kind of this build up of anxiety and I couldn't put my finger on it. Yeah. And my wife just asked me, she was like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I went, I mean, I don't know, I guess Miss Quota, like, it was yeah. like, oh, in the grand scheme of things, not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. You know, for me, I've, I've been kind of trying to find a new rhythm to life with that because of having a six-month-old. So yep. I'll say that, like, pre-Olivia, post-Olivia, our daughter, um, you know, one of the things when I was truly just functioning in just a sales capacity and I wasn't in management, I didn't have a team to manage, I played mm -hmm. golf with a group of guys that I got plugged in with in Virginia every Sunday like clockwork. We okay. played every Sunday and uh, occasionally we'd sneak in like a Saturday round and have a double round in a week. But like, I think in the, in the year of 2021, I think I played 50 rounds of golf, like awesome. kind of an ungodly amount of golf for a guy who's a full-time employee somewhere and working a lot of hours. But for me, like there were little things that I did that made me very thankful, no matter what was going on or how bad of a week I was having or how bad of a month. And so like, for me, I got to where I really enjoyed always walking with a push cart. So like I'd walk, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a golf cart. I would walk and like, you know, you always want to get out in the sun, but like there was something about getting out there and like it, I don't know, just being out there and being thankful to like have a body that can move and get out and get in the sun and move around a little bit. And I'm not a big drinker, but like I would have like two or three beers and it was funny because like people laugh at me, but I don't know what it is, but like I put on sunscreen and I'd always bring Mick Ultras. And I'm not, I'm not a big Mick Ultra guy, but like there was something to me, you're going to laugh. There's something, I think it was my dad, but there's something to be at about a Mick Ultra and sunscreen that like in my mind, I go into beach mode. Like I'm at the beach. And so like I'd be on a course and it'd be 8 a.m. and I'm putting on sunscreen, lathering up, you know, looking pale and ghastly. And I crack a Mick Ultra at 8.15 in the morning. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm at the beach. Like, you can't, you can't bother me. Like, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm so good. And so, I, you know, that in a combination with, like, getting a little bit of sweat in, you know, going to the gym or hitting the gym at home or something was always kind of my, that's what kept me grounded. Um, you know, now in a management function, like, I'm, I have to be so much more available to my reps and the nature of what we do, which we'll get into. But like, I haven't really found my sweet spot. Like I'm still trying to find out what it is, you know, to some extent it's yeah. just spending time with my daughter, but like, I'm a huge believer in you got to have things outside of work. Like if this is it for you, like, dude, those valleys get really dark. Like they get really dark and the peaks aren't near as bright as what they should be. So, yeah. I agree with you, man. I mean, I, you know, the other day I was kind of talking with a couple of people and I realized I hadn't, you know, really looked up at the sky anytime recently and, and just taken in the stars, let alone had any quiet time for myself. And I mean, you know, we have a family farm and we bought an adjacent property almost two years ago now. And, uh, and that, that's my happy place, dude. And I, I mean, I haven't even been to it in three months. I mean, that's that front porch overlooking the Valley during hunting season, brother. Oof, that is, that is my happy place. And, I haven't been to it in three months and it wears on you. And, and I think 
that that's something I, I struggle with. And, and that's half the reason why I started this as accountability, right? Like calling myself out on it every day. But what I, I think is important going along with this, not only finding ways to reset yourself is what we're kind of talking about here. It's also enjoying the ride. And where where I start to occasionally get that sense of anxiety that you kind of highlighted earlier is it's like, I'm almost there. I, for some reason, I can't explain this. I've never been able to explain it. Like, I'll just, I'll just get this feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. I've got to get there. And then when I find but there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, anxiety that comes with that. And like, I've just, I've got to get there. I've got to finish. But then I sit back and I'm like, well, there is no there, right? The month yeah. starts over again on the first, you know, the quarter starts over again, in the second quarter, like there is no there and, and getting built up and getting, you know, you know, anxious about that process, thinking you're almost there, it resets every 30 days. Right. And it's slowly starting to learn to enjoy the ride. Mm -hmm. I think that for me has helped me set, you know, aside time to be able to reset myself and and rejuvenate myself. And and I mean that separate from my family, too, because as much as I love being a dad, having three kids, I I think the important thing is they are first. You know, my, my wife and my three kids are first. But to effectively give ourselves to both our families and in our sales roles, you have to get that that quiet time as well. So how do you, how do you try to budget in that into your schedule? I mean, it's an ever evolving thing. Um, You know, I I do think you're right. Just take a step back about the journey. Like it's a hundred percent about the journey. You know, it's, um, we get so consumed with like the materials and the things around us. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, it's like, you realize none of that really, matters a whole lot like at a certain level it's like all right is this going to change my life in any meaningful capacity not really you know probably not um i i as far as like the time question goes i mean it's it's an interesting one like for me it i know there's something about myself that i learned when i was still at college at sanford where i remember there was a semester where i was taking um, you know, full load considered 16 hours. I was taking 19 hours and I technically had three jobs on paper simultaneously. So like two of them, I was working with you. One was a different off-campus job and it was the best GPA semester I ever had in my entire time at that school. And Mm -hmm. I legitimately had friends, yourself included, who thought I was narcoleptic. That's that, that semester, because like, if I sat down, I fell asleep. Like I'd be mid conversation, my head would just knock back and I'd fall asleep. Um, I found you in the food court asleep one time. I don't yeah, know if you remember 100%. that. But I, yeah. Everywhere. I'd fall asleep everywhere. But what I found is that the busier I get, the better I am. And so, mm-hmm. like, the more, and it, not so much of like a fake busy, but like truly, truly busy. Like, I've got a lot mm-hmm. on the agenda today. Like, I'm going to be really, really efficient because for me, I realized there wasn't a minute waste. So there wasn't a minute for me to just get on my phone and scroll through Facebook or YouTube or, you know, kick around on Amazon or whatever. It was like, no, no, no. I've only got 15 minutes before this next meeting. And I have these two people I told I'd call back before X time. And so I don't have a choice. And so for me, you know, with our daughter and my wife still works, like, she comes home from daycare and we only have about a two to two and a half hour window before she's falling asleep. And so it's like, all right, this is all the time I'm getting. So everything else can wait. 
like it i think it's just the thing of like you just realize like in the grand scheme of things like all that other stuff can wait like that person calling you to just talk about like oh it's a rough week or what's hey it can wait i call you back at eight o'clock like it can wait or it can wait till tomorrow morning when i'm driving into work like it can 100 percent wait um and i think i think a lot of it is just i know that you in particular know this but like as we get older and frankly we lose the people around us like you become much more aware of time um, and the meaningfulness of it. And like, I don't think it hit me until like truly, truly hit me until more recently, but that's always something my parents have kind of pounded into me. Um, just like be diligent with your time and don't waste it. Like it, it's so easy to just waste your time and it's, it's the most valuable thing you have. So I think some of it's just, you know, we all waste time, but just being intentional. Yeah, I mean, I, I think being tracking your time, I think, is one of the most important things you can do for yourself, right? And, and you know, Which my I'm terrible on, about it, <laughs> terrible. Well, we, we 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 all have our struggles, right? But yeah, you know, for for me, I think it's I I like you was raised, you know, to value my time, and, and the biggest, I mean, the biggest motivator of that, not to be morbid, brother, but you know, my dad had me in his mid forties. And, yeah. you know, I was always raised with him saying, we are not going to have as much time together. And we didn't, you know, I lost my dad at 20, when I was 27. Yeah. And, um, it's, um, trying to make the most of that, you know, time that I have with my family is important. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm still bad about it. Like, again, I get sucked into this. I work six days a week, uh, but every week nonstop, I, I haven't even taken a six day, a six day in over three years. Right. So it's, for me, it's that is how consumed I get in my work. And, and I, I'll tell you why in a second, why I'm that consumed by it. But at the same time, when I'm off, I'm off. And mm -hmm. it's, I don't even have my work email on my phone anymore. And that, that bothers people when I tell them that, but when I'm off, I'm off. And I think what I've gotten relatively good at doing is when I finish my work day, I do my follow-up emails. I do it all then. I, you know, I, I don't kind of, you know, get lazy and be a half-ass and, and put it off to the next day. I, I keep myself accountable no matter how tired I am, get all my notes in our CRM, get everything emailed out, you know, double check my day for the next day to see if I need to send any reminder, you know, text or emails to those folks that I'm speaking with. I make sure all that's handled before I go to bed each night. So when I get up for the roughly hour I have with my kids in the morning before they go to school, they get that full hour with me. And then when they get home, unfortunately, I'm already working when they get home. I, I basically work four to midnight. But when they get home, Anytime that I have a call that, you know, cancels or you know, no shows, if we don't have overflow available, you know, I'll, I'll take the time to go downstairs and be with my family. And then Saturday and Sunday, it's, it's fully my family, right? My, my wife, and my kids get my undivided attention mm -hmm. Saturday and Sunday, nothing else, you know, interferes with that. And I think it's, we all have to adapt our schedules to our family. And, and I got some really good advice recently some, you know, sometimes I feel like I've missed certain things about like, my oldest and, and I certainly have, but, you know, we chose to be here. We can either continue to focus on what we've missed or continue to accept the choices we made to be here and, and make decisions on how we can prioritize, you know, what's important is going forward. And that's what I choose to do. Well, and I think, I think the other thing that I know you're aware of, because we've had conversations about it, but it's like, it's also knowing about the long term and not looking at the immediate like this month right now. And yeah. It's funny because there's, there's, um, 
a guy I know a little bit older than us in Nashville who's who's been a lifelong salesman. Uh, you don't know him, but he recently put something online about, you know, he's traveled on average 100 days a year for the last like 15 years. And his kids are like 12 and 10, I want to say. Um, mm-hmm. And he's gotten to where now he's he's done traveling. Like he's he's changed roles, he's changed capacities, but it's like he did that to put money into the bank that he can then pull from later in the sense of like, he set himself up for a long term of, of like, okay, now I can really, really spend all my time with these kids and almost work in like a part-time capacity. And, you know, unfortunately it's like as dads and as breadwinners, it's like, sometimes you have to make that decision where it's like, Hey, yeah, I'd rather be there with that kid, but it's like, I got to go make this money. Like I, you know, you got to put food on the table. You got to pay mortgage. You got to, you got to do these things. You do. I mean, it's, you, you have to, there are sacrifices. Yeah. Being a father, being a parent does not come without sacrifices. And, you know, some, some of the best advice I ever got when I, you know, Megan and I were getting married was from our our pastor and our, our premarital counseling. And I've said this before on here, you know, he said, you have to die to yourself every day. And then another you know, a buddy of mine a couple of years later reminded me that, that that applied to your kids as well. And, but sometimes that means you have to forego the pleasantries of, for you and, you know, give them that time. So when you take that business trip that, you know, you, the free time you had at home wasn't spent on you, it was spent on your kids, right? Because they deserve anything before yeah. anybody else, right? And I think, I mean, it, it's, it's challenging because, Inflation being what it is, world being what it is, things are definitely tough right now. And it's hilarious because they're like, oh, the, the stock market's great. The economy is great. And it's like, go check the grocery store. You know, in, in a matter of four months, we went from $160 a month, or excuse me, $160 a week grocery bill, you know, for two kids. And then we had our, our third and it went up to like 190 Now it's 320 to 350 and, and that was a four, three, four, five month difference. That's it. And, and for me, it's, I'm looking at ways to, you know, I think a lot of people get caught up in, I have to go work these hours. I have so I can get this amount of money. I think one of the things that we as fathers can be doing is budgeting, mm-hmm. right? Cause I, if you, if you think about it, right. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is right for everybody, but it could be applicable to some it's if you, if you follow a budget and you abide by that budget, could that help you not have to work and, and spend more time? Right. It's a relative question. And then it's, Look, I mean, it's something that, you know, I myself have not always been the best about. Like, we're, we're good at maintaining and all that, but sometimes we need to be better about it. So, you know, we, we use an app on our phone, and it's, it's made a significant difference in our lives. And yeah, you time. know, we, we've gone through peaks and valleys as far as, like, actually budgeting. Like, you know, we're both, my wife and I are both very frugal people naturally. So, like, we're not, we're not big spenders. But, like, I saw a little clip of, uh, of Dave Ramsey over the weekend, who I'm not the biggest Dave Ramsey fan, but I think he, he's just, I mean, he's a sharp guy. Like he says a lot of really, I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of great financial advice in there. Um, sure. But he made the comment. He said something like 98% of people have never and will never do a physical handwritten budget that that's unique to every month. That was the caveat to it. And I went, you know, in all the budgets I've done, I've never done one that's like unique to a specific month. Right. And I went, that is interesting. Like, it's an interesting thought. And you're right. It's like, hey, instead of just continually upping your income to then up your lifestyle to continue to force you on that, on that thing, it's like, are you actually paying attention to where your money is going and watching every dollar? And that's, you know, Jordan, and I've had some of that conversation where it's like, 
you know, with, with just what's going on and inflation in the world and all, it's like, Hey man, what, what do you want to choose to do with your money? How do you want to, what do you want to do with this long term? It's like, do you want to, do you want to invest in real estate? Do you want to go in the stock market? Like, what do you want to do with this? Cause it's like your future depends on it. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's a tough world and it's a, it's a constant pull, but it's like, I think the big thing is just being intentional with your time and not, and I'm, I'm as, I'm as guilty as anyone about mindlessly zoning out on my phone. And my wife would be like, she'll be talking away in the corner saying something. And she'll be like, Hey, what do you think? And I'm like, uh, I don't know what the question was. <laughs> like, I totally exactly. missed that. We all do it. Um, yeah. but you know, we could all be better too about just putting the phone down and, you know, putting it yeah, on limiting it, do not yeah. disturb and throwing the thing down. I'm, I'm very limited that in, in my job and what I do. Cause it's like, uh, we'll get into it, but ha running a sales team, like that's just not an option most of the time for me anymore. No. So, well, how, how have you made that transition from being full-time sales to now being this, I mean, being the manager of the team and actually let, let's take a step back here. I mean, you, you just didn't manage a team. You, you developed a whole new market. So you relocated from Virginia to Huntsville, Alabama and opened up a whole new division for your organization. Yeah. So it's really cool. Our, my company's great. Um, they, um, they open the doors very much for people and they, they've always said, Hey, we have a lack of talent, not a lack of money. And so they, they've always said, you know, Hey, if, if there's a market you want to go open up and it makes sense on paper for us, like we'll go open it. And, um, that's basically what happened with Huntsville. I mean, it was, you know, I had dinner with the, uh, the president of the company amongst, you know, a bunch of other, there were 15 other people there, but he asked me at dinner one night and he said, you know, where do you want to be? And I just told him Alabama and he said, all right, where specifically? And we thought about Birmingham, but there was already somebody opening Birmingham in a couple of months. And, and I said, well, you know, I, I had Mobile and Huntsville in mind. And he looked at the guy who does it and said, well, let's make it happen. And like literally five months later, we were opening up a, I don't know, 7,000 square foot facility. Um, I mean, we've got like just a massive facility and we do fantastic. I mean, we'll do, we'll do somewhere nine, $10 million this year in sales. And it's like, and that, that particular location has been open. How long now? Uh, last year, April. Yeah. Last year, April. So we've, we've, uh, Huntsville has been a killer market for us. It's been one of the better, it's been one of the best new markets we've opened. I can't remember where we finished last year as far as relative to other offices under a year, but we were in the top five. Um, and we opened up, I think 14, 15. Um, yeah. and this year we've been, a, I mean, out of 65 offices, we're a top 15 office in the company. And so yeah. it's like, you know, we can go toe to toe with anybody. And I tell my guys that all the time, I'm like, guys, you have one of the most unique markets in a good way in the country. Mm -hmm. Like this is an yeah. awesome market to live. There's a reason that people want to live in Huntsville. Yeah. So it's, it's well, been I mean, exciting. It, it has been a weird transition though of like basically just being given the keys and being like, all right, figure it out. And, um, <laughs> you know, I say all the time that it's like, Hey, you get to, you get to open and run a business without the risk of losing your own everything on it. You know, right. I'm, I'm playing with another person's checkbook, but it's like, they put a ton of 
faith in me. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I've always just managed it how I would if it was my own dollar as much as possible, yeah. at least, and gone, hey, is this a smart business decision or not? And um, it's it's one of the same things I preach to my guys all the time. It's like, hey, even if you're wrong, like, stick to your guns and follow through. And I don't, and I don't mean like, if you know, you're totally wrong, like just be stubborn and hard headed and, and don't, you know, redirect, but it's like, Hey, sometimes you have to pick a course and in order to do it justice, you just got to follow it through, man. And you just got to like go and execute and do the best you can with it. And so I think there's a lot to be said to just, you know, the companies out there who just identify people that maybe they're not the perfect ideal candidate on paper, but they're like, hey, this is just an intelligent person who's a problem solver and I want them in my organization. And I think that's the one thing my company's really good at. Like one of the many, so, but yeah. In that regard, what, I mean, what do you put value on when you're, when you're hiring your team? I mean, and, and for the record, how, how big is the team that you've built now? How many, how many, um, I, I have 10 sales reps and then I have, um, I don't know. Total personnel, it's like 18. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, fairly large, by no means is it like a hundred person kind of thing, you know, it's, yeah. it's manageable, no, no, but, gotcha. but, um, I'm sorry, re repeat the question. You, you had one there. Just, you know, what, what do y'all place value oh. on in that hiring process? Because I think one of the best pieces of advice is I ever, best piece of advice is my gosh, one of the best pieces of advice I think I ever got was, you know, build a relationship from the very start. Right. So, are you going to hire people that are going to be a robot or are you going to hire people that, you know, and that robot for the record, you know, may have all the business acumen mm -hmm. on paper that may have gone to booth, you know, Chicago, you know, you know, business school. Right. Um, but can they, can they interact? Can they establish trust? Yeah. It's a good question. Like, honestly, you know, my guys in the way we do things, it's a full commission job. All right. So that, that has to be prefaced. So realistically, if, if 50% of who you hire is truly like really good and they stick around, you're one of the best hirers in this industry in general. Like it's just the nature of the beast is there's a lot of turnover and that's, that's sales to some extent, but especially when you get into hundred percent commission, like you have a rough couple of months and you know, either we're, we're going to have to let go of you or you're going to have to let go of us more than likely. Um, but for me, my interviewing is a little different in that one of my biggest goals is, is um, I try to not ever blue sky anybody, meaning that like, I want to give them the good, the bad, and the ugly from day one. Like, I, I don't want them to ever come back to me and go, well, hey, you promised me X, Y, and Z, and you know, this, that, and the other. So I want to be super upfront with them. And I want to just get to know who they are as a person. And if I think they're an intelligent, well-spoken person, then I'm kind of just getting to know, like, can they make a friend? If you can do that, I think you can do this job. Because I think in a lot of ways, that's what sales boils down to as far as initially, it's like, can you just make a friend? If you can make a friend at the door, like that's half the battle. And that's, frankly, it's probably the hardest part of the battle. Like, I don't know about you, but like teaching someone who can't just walk up to someone and strike up conversation, keep that conversation going, is one of the most, I've found that to be an incredibly difficult skill to teach. And, and so, you know, I talk about this with people all the time and I'm always trying to like find a way to get to a certain piece of information. And my most recent one, and I'll be interested if you have an answer to this, 
my most recent one is if I could get people to answer honestly, one of the questions I most want to know from people is if you go to the grocery store and there's not a cart return Turn the cart. within 20 feet that you can see, take it all the way back. Are you going to take it back or do you just leave it in an empty spot right there? Because that to me tells me what kind of person you are. Everything. But, but nobody it will does. answer that honestly. And I've yet to find a way to ask that question in a way that I can get a truly honest answer. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, I think in essence, like it sounds super goofy, but like that's what I found of what I'm looking for. Like, do you do the right thing when nobody else is looking? Are you willing to no, do the work? It, it, it shows value, right? It shows moral compass yeah. and value to some degree, right? Do you value doing the job correctly, starting and finishing you know, as you should versus half-assing it, right? Yeah. And like the other day, Megan and I were, were you know, at the grocery store. We, we pull into Publix where we live and there's a uh, an individual, um, a lady that's in a pickup truck, gets out of her, you know, or get, doesn't get out. She finishes loading her truck. She's maybe in her 40s, healthy, fit, and Definitely wheels that my car, car right in front of my wife's car. And just stop, kind of does the little, you know, the left and the right and just back to her car. And I just stared at her. I just looked out the, the driver's side door and I stared at her and she's like, look at me like what? She drives around, she gave me the bird, right? And it's like that that type of crap drives me nuts because they're satisfied half-assing something and then letting somebody else pick up the slack for them. And that's, I, I think that's also like kind of the culture of the day where like, Yep. You call someone out on their crap and then they're pissed. They have the nerve to throw you the bird for yep. something. And it's like, hey, just do the right thing. Do the right yeah. thing when nobody's looking. Do the extra work. It's what you were talking about. Like, hey, I don't care what time it is. You know, you get done at midnight, 11 o'clock, 1 a.m., whatever. Hey, I'm going to finish this instead of putting it off until 8 in the morning because I told somebody I was going to. Like, I'm yeah. sure. And I'm sure there's people you're coming to. I'm sure that if you wanted to, you could just get up and do that at eight o'clock in the morning. And no one would really ever be any the wiser to it in a sense. But it's like, is that what I committed to doing? Or did I commit to doing it as soon as I got off the call and have it to you, exactly. you know, two hours after we're done? And so yeah. it's it's super tough, but like hiring, it, it's a weird thing. I, I told my wife the other day, I, I understand like, the longer I do this, unfortunately, the more jaded I become. Yeah. And because like I give people opportunities that frankly, like don't necessarily deserve them or don't deserve them yet. And it blows up in my face more often than not. And I think there's a part of me that sees some of myself in these people. Where I'm like, oh man, I wish somebody would have given me this opportunity but not everyone's going to do what I was willing to do or what you were willing to do. And so it, it's becoming harder and harder for me to go out of my way to give people these opportunities who aren't deserving. But I think my wife sort of keeps me grounded because I'll talk to her about these interviews and she typically gives pretty good advice on, hey, you should hire this person or, hey, maybe you should wait on this person. And so it's nice to have. Good wife is a good compass. That's something I've heard said a lot. That's a great true. statement. I mean, it's true. I mean, my, my wife is my compass. And look, we've, we've had our ups and downs. I mean, I think every, any longtime marriage is going to, and I, I'm not a saint by any means. So she, and she puts up with a lot. But at the end of the day, she is my compass for sure. But I mean, I, I think something you said there, 
in our role, especially, you know, training people, you know, it, you've got to be able to call people out. And, and something I'm looking for is, you know, can they take that, that feedback? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to break you down to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. And unfortunately, and I'm getting salty now, I'll turn 36 here in a few days, but I, I think I'm starting to see more and more people just aren't, are not open to, you know, helpful feedback, right? I'm not even being critical. I'm, I'm just trying to say, hey, this is awesome. Let's keep building upon that. Like, well, it wasn't perfect. Well, no, nothing's ever perfect, right? And, and so I, I remember there was a, um, a situation a long time ago before I was actually in a, in a physical product sales role uh, when I was still in, you know, the consulting sales world. And um, an individual at an event had, it was an in-person event, an individual had lost their phone. And I asked a team member to, you know, get up and, and start looking around. They just remained sitting on the couch and, and, and didn't join. And it's like, okay, got it. And so the Mental fact note. that I took it, exactly, right? Well, later on, I, I made a comment about that. And I said, hey, like this, to me, it was unacceptable. I got reeled into management for it. Not, not the individual that sat on her ass. I got reeled into management for it, for calling someone out. Apparently, it's not appropriate to call someone out for not, you know, not being a team player. And it's like, I, I didn't go to management. I didn't go rat her out. I just said, Hey, can you, can you step up here and help us look for this individual's phone before they have to board a flight? And it's people cannot take any type of feedback these days. I feel like that, whether it's to be helpful or whether it's just to spur reactions, someone actually does their job and they go from zero to hundred, I think all too quick. And what I'm looking for when I, when I'm trying to, you know, help people that are onboarding is I'm, I'm trying to figure out who's going to listen or who's going to talk. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I know you hire a lot of guys with sales experience. Um, and the, the last thing I want to hear about is how successful you were at your last position. You left for a reason, right? And you may have been very successful, but you left for a reason. All I care about is what you're going to do here. Can you shut up and can you learn the product that we sell? That's all I care about. Yeah, it is. It is funny in that way. And I tell people like we do, we do a lot of like daily check-ins and talking about previous day appointments and role plays. And so I tell them like, Hey man, I, I say it almost every day. I'm like, you got to leave your ego at the door. Yes. I don't, I don't care if you've been here for two weeks or two years, you got to leave your ego at the door because like, this is a place where we're all here to get better. You know, um, one of the cool things about, I love it. Our company at every, at every level, people are paid on a performance level in some sense. So, call it commission, call it bonuses, whatever you want. But everyone has an incentive to do better. And so I tell everyone, I'm like, hey, look, whether you hate me or love me or you're anywhere in between, I want you to be successful. I don't care what I think about you. I don't care what you think about me. It's like I make money when, when my entire team is selling you included. And so there's nothing I'm going to say in here that's ever intended to, to hurt you. It's just, it's just to bring you up. And so I think sometimes people aren't willing to have that kind of first conversation of like, what is the purpose of this feedback? And then I think you're right in that, like when you're talking about the plane thing and getting called to HR and whatever, I see that a lot where like the bigger a company gets, the more careful they have to get in a way that's like overprotective. And so you can't say anything to anyone about anything because God forbid one word is a little off. And so I don't know. It, it's again, it's one of those things where I, I think 
I think if you had the conversation about the intent of why the feedback is coming, especially if it's someone you work with on a regular basis, I think it opens that up a little bit more. And especially if you can just ask them like, hey, how do you feel about taking feedback? How do you like getting feedback? Because that's something uh, like I've noticed a lot of people, I'll ask them that and they're like, what are you talking? Like they don't realize there's multiple ways to get feedback. Like no one's ever asked them that question. And so, um, you know, unfortunately we, we've all seen it, but it's like, there's a lot of really, really, really bad sales managers and middle management out there that are just kind of like poison the well a little bit. And so you have to like, Gosh, I can remember the worst one. Like I had a guy one time, he had a family member pass away and he didn't think I would give him like three days off to go to the funeral out of state. And I was like, what do you, what do you, like he was asking, I was like, of course, do you want, I like offered like, Hey, do you just want to take off till next Monday? And it was like six days. And he was like, wait, that's okay. And I was like, dude, yes. Like you had a, you had an immediate family member die. Like, yes, take the time you need to like, go and grieve and be with family and stuff. He goes, oh, I've just, I didn't even think, and no one's ever offered me. Like, apparently something happened in the past where there was a funeral and he got fired because he left for two days. And I'm like, what an insane, I don't know. There's just no empathy anymore in the world. No, there's not. I mean, don't get me wrong. We work in organizations that are, you know, I, I, are, are y'all public or are y'all private? We're private. Yeah, so we, we have a, we have a pretty large private equity stake. Um, okay. uh, you know, being a private company, they don't have to disclose all of it. So I'm not, I'm obviously not sure of the details. I don't, I'm not the elite accountant, but um, right. <laughs> no, we are still a private company and I don't, so are we. yeah. And, and so that, I think that brings with it a lot of benefits though. It does. You know, yeah. it's, it's, we've grown a ton since I started with this company. You know, I think when I, when I first talked to you about coming on board this coming just a couple of years ago, it's like we were less than half the size of we are today. And it, but, and you know, HR has built up in suit and there've been some new procedures and policies put in place and most of it being very, very good, like needed stuff. But it does kind of, you know, it, it puts a little bit more guardrails on everything and it keeps you in the boundaries. And, um, but it's cool that our company still allows us to like, do business the way it needs to be done, I guess, mm. you know, just do the right thing. Treat people how they need to be treated. I think when you value your, your workforce, you value your team, you're yeah. not going to see as much turnover. And I, I think, you know, some, you're going to see turnover in positions that are people just don't, they just don't learn the product and they, or they just really struggle to learn it's, you know, good sales technique. Right. But at the end of the day, for those that are, you know, more than halfway decent at their job, you're less likely to, to lose them by, you know, taking care of your team and listening to their needs. And I think hats off to you, man, because I, I have heard of other situations similar to what you described where someone is let go or they're only given a single day. And it's like, well, I can get down and back in the day to certain spots in the country, right? You know, so uh, it's, it's important. It, yeah, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a funny world in that regard. And like, I think a lot of, one of the biggest things that's a struggle as we talk about just all of this together in hiring and sales and particularly in the sales aspect of hiring is that there's so many jobs that have the title of sales in some way and they're not sales. Yeah. They're, they're, they're order taking or they're marketing or they're customer service. And so people get confused with the difference between being an order taker and being a salesman. And so 
that's one of the hardest things I find to, to, you know, even we do a two interview process, but even in like, even if I get two hours with the guy to find out, like, can he truly, truly sell something? Like, cause I mean, frankly, I'll say it, like the bulk of my experience when I was at Verizon coming out of college was order taking. Like there was a little bit of salesmanship, but it was order taking. And I knew in that role, like I learned quickly, we had a busy location. The more people I could touch in a day, the more potential sales I could get to. And my limitation was how many hours I was allowed to work because they didn't want you pulling a bunch of overtime. And so it was like, okay, if I can just get a little bit faster and still treat the customer right and do the things I need to do, but get a little bit quicker in here, then I can see two, three, four, five more customers a day. Yep. But when you get into like, truly, truly sales, and it's not just selling on price and payment or whatever, you know, hey, we're building a, it's a value proposition. It's a long-term investment. Dude, that's just a different ball game. And a lot of people, they think they know what they're getting into, and then they get into it and they're like, uh, this is harder than I realized. And that's one of the biggest things I feel like I see people struggle with. Now that might, might not be the case everywhere, but in what we do, that's a big struggle. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's definitely, I think something that I see people struggle with on my side of the spectrum as well. But I think for me too, I, I'll just be honest, man. I, I don't think some people want to work as, as badly as, you know, as others. But one of the reasons why I think I'm, I've been bad in recent years about creating that difference, uh, you know, for myself and time is because I've been laid off for seven months before, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was with an organization that had to let go a third of its a third of its company and I was the division that got let go and you spend seven months you know sitting in a dark home contemplating you know you're failing and letting your family down because you're not providing food on the table you've got a newborn and uh, well on, uh, just over a year old and you've got you know we found out a month after um you know I was you know laid off that uh you know we were expecting our second at the time like I, I never want to you know experience that again I think some people you get nervous about putting food on the table or keeping a roof over your head as a father or as a parent in general, I mean, being, for me, there, there's no, no better motivation than that. And it's, I'm a firm believer. And if you just try, if you keep putting the effort in, you're going to eventually figure it out. I, I really do believe it. You're going to have to get guidance. You're going to have to get tips. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to listen and learn. But if you can listen and learn and keep putting the effort in, you will figure it out. You may not like it, but you will figure out how to be, you know, at least do well enough to provide a living for yourself. Yeah, I think there's scales to it, but yeah, I don't disagree with you. It, it, you know, it's it's not a coincidence that I'm sure you see it too. Like you see the sales guy who has a job and maybe he's struggling and he doesn't know how he's going to pay rent that's due in two weeks. And magically he becomes the best salesman in that place. Yep. And like, I see it all the time. I'm, I'm sure you see it, but like, I'll have a guy that's kind of had a slump and all of a sudden some bills are coming due. and yep. He goes out and sells three deals in four days and he's making up, you know, a lot of money. He's covering bills for a couple months. And then all of a sudden he goes right back into another slump because it's like comfortable. You know, it's that it's that um, it's that saying. And I've seen it a lot here recently. I think it's true. of, of the It's a bunch of lines. I'm going to butcher it. But the, you know, good times create. weak weak men, weak times mm-hmm. create, I, you, you know what I'm talking about or yeah, soft times, yeah, weak, yeah. whatever it is. But um it, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, sometimes you got to go through some hardship and some adversity and you got to be pushed around a little bit and 
you kind of have to get a little bit of that desperation and come out swinging a little bit. And and I want to see people to have that fight. Like I want to see people that are, you know, they're not going to take it sitting down. Like they want to get better and they want to get after it. Like I want to see a little bit of that fire burning in them. Yeah. No, it's, I, I wish I saw more of that. Not, I mean, obviously not everyone's going to have it, right? I get that. But I, I do wish, I, I just think take ownership of your situation, right? If you can take ownership of your situation and understand, hey, at the end of the day, it comes down to you, right? You, the person, whatever situation you're in, sometimes it's it's not preventable. Sometimes it's things that you couldn't control. My situation being laid off was out of my control. The company was yeah. not financially sound. Um but it, it was in my control as soon as I, you know, in terms of applying to jobs and finding jobs in becoming successful, right? And, and learning that new product and, and, and doing well with it. And I think it, it's, if you can hold yourself accountable, you know, set, set a standard for yourself and, and increase that standard, right? I think it, if, if you get too comfortable, you're, you're not going to grow in your job. And if you're not growing, what are you doing? That's a personal opinion. But yeah. You need to be growing. And in, in my opinion, you should be setting new standards. And I think that's something that some some sales teams get wrong is once they get someone to a certain level, they don't give them any more resources to continue growing. Right. And I, I think that's where management teams across the country can do a better job. And I think that would also make employees happier because they can learn something, maybe a new skill. But but, but if we you know if we take that thought, I'm gonna interrupt you for a second. If you take that yeah. thought, I think there's a deeper reason for that. I think the reason they, I think the reason they stop, and I don't think it's out of choice. I think it's because those are the hardest people to give quality training to. Yeah, I and, agree. With and that. I, I can totally and I think that. that they run into that wall of like, oh my gosh, like we've gotten them kind of as high as we've got as we can get them, and I don't know that we can do more. And like I see that all the time, where we have really high level guys doing what we're doing, and I mean, you know, we work in primarily roofing but to windows and other exterior home remodeling and i mean there's guys out here making just insane amounts of money but it's because they are really 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 good salesmen and at a certain point it does get hard to train them because you look at them and you're like crap man you're as good or better than me like but so, so there <laughs> there is a humility aspect at least i think there's a humility aspect in like understanding that just because just because you're you're good at a bunch of things doesn't mean there's not other places where we can still do improvement. And it also doesn't mean that I can't learn from you. So exactly. one of the things I tell people all the time is like when I do, you know, new onboarding and basic trainings, I learn stuff from guys all the time. Like I learn little one liners or I learn about something that somebody just happens to have a random background. And I'm like, oh, I'll be darned. Didn't know that. You know, and, and you I think you just have to be open to learning from anyone. And I think for me, that's one of the reasons why, like, it all kind of comes full circle. I told you, like, I, I enjoy teaching, though, like, it's always been fun for me. But I think part of the reason why is because I, I enjoy meeting a lot of people. And part of the reason for that is because I think everyone has a really interesting story to tell, but most people won't take the time to listen. I think something I heard from a, a very close friend of mine and someone I want to have on the show, he's actually one of my former VPs. He told me every time he, he took a new, you know, opportunity to sit down, you know, I'm, I'm on calls, you know, my, mm -hmm. my sales role is done over, you know, video chat um, and, and other in-person events. But, he, you know, he told me, he's like, I just look at this like having a cup of coffee. If I can't sit down and listen to their needs and get to know them and actually be able to give them a more unique response 
or you know service to their particular need, I'm not going to be successful. And just I shorten that to just have a cup of coffee, right? Like when I'm sitting down with a, a, a new potential client, my first 10 to 15 minutes, I'm not trying to push a sell. I'm not trying to talk funds, money. I'm just trying to get to know them where I can build a little bit of a rapport. They feel comfortable and they start, hey, he's listening. Okay. He cares. And, and I think we need more of that, right? You know, it's funny enough, like, you, you know, I work with a lot of people, you know, looking for service consulting, right? And so I'll get on these calls and, and a lot of these individuals will get on and it's like, hey, how you doing? Good. Yeah. Real cagey. It's like, yeah. It's like, I'm doing great too. Thanks for asking, you know? And it's just like this. Hey, you signed up for the call. What's going on? And if you rush that family or, you know, that potential client, if you rush them in that moment and, and, and they're kind of standoffish giving you those one word responses, you're, you're losing it immediately. You've got to lower the gate. Yeah. Get in. I'm, I'm big on, um, it's funny you made the coffee or the comment about coffee because I tell my guys all the time that when I'm, when I'm giving a pitch to somebody or I'm meeting with somebody, this is going to sound really weird to so bear with me. I always try to imagine it's like if somebody that I haven't seen in 15 years, but I used to know is buying a product in whatever category I'm in. And we're just sitting down at waffle house, having breakfast together. And I try to bring that level of like where I met as far as, Hey, I'm not really pushing this on you. I want to educate you on it. I think you're a smart person but maybe you don't have all the information at your disposal. And I'm pretty confident that when I lay everything out in front of you, I'm not really going to have to quote unquote, sell you a whole bunch of anything. Cause once I've educated you and you can see everything, I think you're going to lean my way more often than not. And so I always joke with you. I'm like, Hey man, go out and make a friend, go out and make a friend. Yep. But like there, there is a lot of truth to that of like his thing of going out and having a cup of coffee because it is, it's like, Hey, bring down bring down the 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 you know the the walls a little bit and be a real human for a minute because so often like guys just want to blitz right into like for us it's like oh so why'd you have us out you know you haven't leaks you haven't this yet and i'm like hey just talk to them for a minute like <laughs> get to know the person you're sitting in front of yeah it's like you don't know what kind of day that person's had right it's like you you go you go to the grocery store you know you buy whatever you're buying it's like Hey, how's your day? Oh, it's good. Yeah. So you're going to get some time off with your family here? Like my wife used to kind of stare at me. He's like, what? It's like, cause I, I care because you, you don't know what the other person's going through in, in, in our role specifically. If you do exactly what you just said, it's like, so you're having a roof or leaks. You got all these issues. It's like, Hey, my mom just died. And it's like, Hey, we can, let's, let's redo this. Right. It's yeah. like, and I'm not trying to be extreme there with that example, but you just don't know. And if, if you just come in the, the slimy, greasy salesperson that everyone tries to put a bad rap to for anybody in sales, you're not helping yourself. So you, it's situational awareness, you know, not to sound like a prepper here, but situational awareness applies to sales. You need to be aware of what that prospective, you know, client is showing, right? You need to be able to read any cards they're giving you before you make any kind of forward progression to try to get an opportunity for yourself. Yeah, it's fine. And, and I think too many of us get sucked in. This is a conversation. This is a rabbit hole that goes so deep too that it's like you get any guys who've been in sales for a long time, and it's like this is a conversation that I feel like could go on for hours and hours and hours oh, and sure. hours and hours. But it, yeah, it's a um, that's it's I think that's part of it. Like when you asked me early on of like, you know, why sales? It's like I think that's why. Is it's yeah. it's kind of the 
never ending cycle. So like, you know, I'm a, you know, on a personal, like I'm a big golfer and I know you, you play, you're not a big golfer, but you've played. And there's an old quote about how, and I think it relates to sales about golf very, it, it, you know, it very much mimics and mirrors the, the game of life and that mm-hmm. you can hit a great shot and get a bad bounce and have a terrible lie. Or you can hit a terrible shot. It bounces off the tree, lanes in the middle of the fairway, all fluffed up, nice, beautiful lie. But it's like at the end of the day, you got to play the ball where it lies. Like can't go back and redo that last shot. Can't go back and redo that last appointment. I can't, you know, take my foot out of my mouth that I just put in there in the last 15 minutes of the customer. It's like, all I can do is move forward. And so I tell guys, I'm like, Hey man, like if you made a mistake, it's okay. Like, that's fine, but just own it and move on. Like, own it, learn from it, move on. Like it's all you can do. You cannot just keep looking in the rear view mirror forever because you're never going to get anywhere that way. You can't live in the past. It's going to prevent you from growing to the future. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of transitioning there. So how do you define your success? Right. I think society as a whole now, you know, I call it the brag board. That's kind of my slang term, yeah. you know, around the house, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and, and granted, I have all those things, but I, I mainly put up family photos now, but obviously have to use that to try to grow this podcast to create a community. But how do you define success versus what society tries to tell you is success? Um, I think, I think to me, it's the people and the relationships. So like, obviously they're, I think there's a base component. Like, I think you'd be foolish if you, if you sat there and said like, Oh, I'm super successful and you're homeless. Like, I, I mean, maybe in some capacity you are depending on what your definition of success is, but that doesn't work for me. Um, I think for me being able to see that like my family is taken care of is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I think being able to see like the pride in, in family members, and, you know, hear how they talk about me or my career or whatever I'm doing and then frankly, the people that I manage. So, you know, I've had on numerous occasions, people come to me and like a, a couple of guys who left for various reasons, family, whatever, and said, Hey man, this has nothing to do with you. You're the best boss I've ever had. And it's like, you know, sometimes you take that with a grain of salt. Cause you're like, well, if you're making a lot more money, I don't know if you'd be leaving me, but you know, maybe I'm not the best boss, but Um, But at the same time, it's like, I think those kind of things go a long way. And I think, um, yeah, I've never been, I don't know. I think all of us are materialistic to some extent. Like I like nice things. I like fun things. You know, we we have a a shared passion in some things, but it's like, what's the, um, I don't know, there's a, I think it's a Darius Rucker song or something about like, I've got a roof over my head, shoes under my feet, food yeah. to eat, something, something along those lines. Um, and actually that, that, that actually brought me to a really, I haven't said this in a long time. I kind of forgot about it, but you know, the, the, you know, the comedian, Brian Callen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So Brian Callen, he's a, he's a really funny guy, but he had this great line that I thought related and it sort of changed my outlook a few years ago. Somebody asked him what success was or, or what enough was like, what's, what's the line of like enough money. And I, I think that's exact. I can't remember exactly how they phrased the question, but he said, um, if I can take my family out to eat 
and not pay attention to the prices on the menu and not be concerned about what they're going to order. Yep. That's success to me. He's like, I've, I've provided, he's like, everything else is, is extra. It's fluff. You know, it's the cherry on top. And I was like, oh man, that's actually a really good line because in my mind, like I immediately read it. I'm like, well, you're not doing that if you're not paying rent, if you can't put clothes on your back. So it's like, all right, you get to the point where I think a lot of us would be like, oh, success is way more than that. But I'm like, no, man, that's sometimes we get caught up in the rat race and I'm like, that's it. Like if you can provide for your family and be comfortable and not have to, you know, have all your bills on auto draft and not have to worry about how you're going to pay for dinner. Dude, you're living well. Better than probably 90% of the world. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have a Porsche 911 sitting out front, but it's like, I don't need that to have success. Like I'd love to have one, but it's like, that's not, that's not success at the end of the day. Like, Maybe one day when when the majority of your responsibilities have been met, right? Maybe one day, but it, it's not something that we need now. Could we have it now? Sure, but do we do we need it now? No, we'd love to have one, but at the end of the day, you're right. It's not success. It, you know, I, I think success is too. I think people think they're they're failing because they get too sucked in what others have. I think you're spot on with your materialism comment, and it's at the end of the day, more shit brings more problems. And you've got more responsibilities, more time consumption. And I mean, there's just so much that, you know, starts to, you know, take a, just slowly pick at your time and take away from your time, the more you have and less, and this is something I'm learning, less totally is more. I mean, it, it is the greatest feeling to kind of purge a bunch of stuff from your home uh, and not have as much stuff sitting around. We did that recently. And it feels amazing, but yeah, I think. I, I think living living your own dream, like what what's important to you. I, I agree with what you're saying about Brian Callen. It's not it's not what you know this famous influencer saying you need to have. It's what makes you happy. What you're comfortable with are your family members taking care of. And I think that I mean you talked about it a little bit at the very beginning. I've I haven't had Instagram on my phone for probably a year. You're brave. And so it's funny how it happened. I I changed. You know, I've been an Android guy for the longest time. And I went to I went to Apple when my wife got pregnant, not long after. I needed a new phone anyway. But I went to it largely because of FaceTime, because all of our immediate family lives out of out of the, the city that we're in. They're not in Huntsville. So I was like, all right, with having a newborn, you know, that FaceTime tool is a, is a huge advantage. Um, and frankly, I was the only one not with an Apple device. And so um, I that one guy. I know I was that one guy keeping the t- group text group text green. Um, but you know, it's funny when I did that, I just never redownloaded it. I like, I couldn't remember the password or whatever. Instead of doing a forget thing, I just am not on it. And like, I have Facebook, but I frankly, I only use it for marketplace. Like that's my dumb, like I'm scrolling through, you know, my mindless nothingness, but I found myself being happier with what I have since getting off of those things. Cause you know, the, the old line of like comparison is the thief of joy. Like I don't care what somebody else has. Like, I don't care that I have the money to go out and buy whatever. Like, it doesn't matter to me. It's like, I don't, I don't feel any necessity to go out. And it's, it's funny. I look over, I've got my watch sitting here and I took it off a few minutes ago. And this is a great example. I don't know. I know you're a big watch guy too. Um, I'm going to ask you about your watch in a minute. So you better put that on. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. I don't know that you know this, but so looks but it's not 
looks like an Omega Speedmaster. Is that the Omega Swatched uh, partnership it is. watch? I love that watch. And so I got it because I was just curious, and I actually found one at, at retail. I didn't have to pay a markup on it, which really yeah, crazy. And I just slapped a okay. black rubber strap on it. Mm-hmm. Farrell, you're a watch guy. I'm a bit of a watch guy. I have had so many people think this was a Speedmaster. And I go, oh, it's only about 120th the price. But I go, hey, guess what? <laughs> it tells time great. It looks fantastic. It I love wearing it. Frankly, everyone I hand it to, even even big watch guys who see it, they're like, this is a cool watch. Like, it is. And it's like, you know, it's really easy to get sucked into like, oh, you got to have the Rolex. You got to have the Tudor. You got to have the whatever. And I'm like, get what makes you happy, man. If a $30 Casio yep. makes you happy, like, get your Casio. Get and this is the only swatch I've ever I owned, but I it's it's become almost a daily wear for me. Yeah. You know, any t- well, I mean, I think tracking your time is the most important thing you can do for yourself because it allows you to effectively use your time. Yeah, right. So it's it, it's incredibly important, but but how you track it. I mean, if you're if someone's happy tracking on their iPhone, great. I, but I really do believe in in having a watch. I, I do because there's times an iPhone I can't be subtle about it, right? And um. But I agree, like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a Rolex right now, but it's, you know, this was a Rolex that was my dad's, you know. Now, I have some other very nice watches that I bought myself, but I, that's something I'm very passionate about, like automatic watches. But at the same time, um, one of my favorite things to wear is, is just my Apple Watch, right? And so it's, you know, there, there are things that I, I've chosen to invest my money in, not because of what I've seen on Instagram. I, I bought my first watch when I was, when I was, uh, just turning 18, I got it my senior year in high school. I bought a Tag Heuer uh, Link. Yeah. And uh, everyone's like, holy crap, dude. Like, what are you buying a watch? I, I've been into them that long, right? Now now it's a fad. Everybody's wearing these super fancy watches. But to me, it, it's not what watch you wear. It's what makes you happy, right? As long as you're tracking your time and you're happy, that's so I, more than So enough. I told you it's, it's sitting at home and I still have it set aside. But my parents have always emphasized the meaning of time. And that was, I didn't know it before it happened, but they gave me and all my siblings a really nice watch as a high school graduation gift. And, and they'd give me a tag. Um, and it's still, I either wear this Omega swatch or I wear that tag basically every day. Um, but they had written this really very heartfelt note about the meaning of time and don't let a minute slip away. And, at the time, it's hard to know, you know, when you're 18, you think you're king of the world and, you know, you're the grand poopah and nobody's going to touch you. But like, I look back at that note, not, not all the time, you know, I'll pull it out, you know, it's sitting with the tag box, but it's, you know, it's sitting in the closet and I'll look at it once every year or so. And it's like, it's a special, it's a special thing. And I think a watch does remind you of that. And I, and I understand the people who want to watch people like I get that side too. But if you yeah. if you are a watch person, I think it can be a really special thing. And it's not there's something more to it than just the minute hands and the gears and the whatever. Like your watch from your dad, it's like there's so much more to that than what meets the eye. And like exactly, watches are a really special thing. I I do you know it's interesting you bringing this into kind of this sales world because it's like obviously watches go hand in hand in the sales world with it's, you know, it's a show of wealth. That's, that's what they are a lot of the time. Like you get into some higher end stuff. They're a show of wealth. Like, Hey, I'm better than you. 
but um, I think that can be very special and, you know, it, yeah. it can be a really neat thing. They can't, and it, they're a point of conversation. I mean, I, I closed a deal uh, last, last year that the father was wearing a, a Rolex Daytona and mm. it was, a, you know, it, watch, I, you know, have, you know, I'm very much into racing as you know, and you know, you, the McQueen, you know, Daytona is, is the Daytona. And he had a McQueen. Oh, Daytona. that's cool. Probably a, a real, I mean, a real McQueen Daytona is probably, I know it's at least six figures. I, I think there's arguments it could go even more now. So, yeah. you know, to that end, we were talking about, it, like, you know, he appreciated the fact that it, it came up how much I appreciated time, but the meaning, as you were just saying, the meaning behind the watch, each watch tells a story. Mm-hmm. You bought it for a reason, right? This is my dad's, right? It's passed down to me and it's got his initials on it and just so happens to be the same initials of, of my son. So my son will get it one day, right? Oh, I've got other that. really nice watches my daughters will get, right? And, um, but to that end, it, it, they all have their own story. But just like, I mean, just like, you know, any any other type of material possession can have its own story. But I I just don't want to, the reason I put so much value on watches is it's, it reminds me of, of the most valuable asset I have. And that's the time. And one of the things that I think helps me is also understanding that it ends. And it's nothing to be afraid of. It, it comes for all of us. But how can you make sure that you maximize what you get out of it? Yeah. Being healthy, exercising. It's something I'm, I've got to be better about. But, you know, the if you understand the importance of time and you value it and you track it, you're going to give more of yourself to others, your kids, your wife. And you're going to give more of it to yourself so you can continue to give to your, your wife and your kids. It's important. But let, let me ask you this. What, what's coming up for you? What are you, uh, what are you working towards? What's kind of the, the thing personally that you and maybe your wife are targeting and trying to, to move towards next? You know, it's an interesting question. Like, we've kind of been banding around the idea of what we want to do. You know, when you have a six-month-old at home, it's like you're kind of limited in really everything. As far as like what you can get out and do and whatnot, we're, you know, it's starting, the world is starting to open up a little more to us. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm very happy in the position I'm in with my company. And uh, that's not to say that I don't have my days of frustration. I think anyone who doesn't have days of frustration at their job doesn't care enough is my mind. Yeah. 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 There's, I mean, there's definitely frustration, but um it's a cool opportunity. I can make an impact on people's lives. And so for me, I'm not, I'm not really looking to necessarily do anything different here as far as like what, Mm -hmm. what my role or what my capacity is. Like, obviously we're always trying to grow and sell more and do better in the normal sales pitch. Um, But for my wife and I, a lot of it is, is kind of slowing things down. You know, as we're seeing our daughter grow so quickly, it's like, Oh my gosh, like, She's, she's a chunky little thing. You know, we love her to death. She's a healthy little thing, but she's already 20, 21 pounds. And it's like, it feels like yesterday, you know, we were laughing about how, you know, when you have the newborn and you kind of hold them flat in your arm and she just won't let us do that anymore. She just wants to sit up and she kind of starts grunting at us and wants to sit up. And it's like, oh man, like just trying to be more intentional with our time on the weekends with her. And so intentionally like, taking her places, even though it's six months old, it's not a thing she's going to remember, but like exposing her to the world and getting her with family and just, just getting out, being intentional with our time. But, um, both of us 
she's naturally more of an introvert. I'm much more an extrovert, but I, I, as I'm sure you can relate, coming home from work in a job like this, like I don't necessarily want to just go and talk to a whole bunch of people afterwards. So I, I've kind of become an introvert <laughs> in my own life. And so for us, it's sort of being intentional about like getting out and, mm -hmm. um, and not letting the material world just sort of take over because there has been that thought of like, oh, do you go try to look at a second home or a vacation home or a this or a that? And it's like, no, 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 let's pump, pump the brakes. Don't need, don't need new cars. We don't need another home. We don't need bigger. We don't need more. We just need to enjoy what we have. And so, yeah, I think for us, it's that that's largely become the focus, um, you know, treasuring relationships more so more so than things mm -hmm. treasuring relationships with people that value relationships right. yeah and it's so hard like i mean even even you and i it's like we've known each other forever um mm. but it's like you never talk to these people as much as you want to like good friends from college and even post-college it's you know we have mutual friends that it's like man I still wish I talked to this person every day and I'm lucky if I talk to him twice a year now. And Are we talk about JP. I mean, that's one of them, but there's half a dozen that come to mind <laughs> sure, and, and, sure, it, sure. and it makes me feel guilty. And like the weird thing yeah. is, I'm sure you can relate to this. It takes me longer to then pick up the phone and call that person because I feel so guilty about not having called that person. And it's this vicious yeah. cycle that it's like, Oh, it's been six months. I can't just call him. And then it's like, before you know it, it's been 18 months and I haven't called him. And you're like, no, I feel really guilty about just picking up. And so trying to be intentional with time and the people and like making that time, you know, what, what we talked about, just being intentional every night with the family and, hey, I've got these hours and we make sure we FaceTime the parent, the grandparents now and be able to show them their granddaughter darn near every night because it's like, Hey, these are the special people in our lives, the friends and family that make a difference. Yeah. So no, I, I agree. It's, and I, I, I want to encourage you man, to, to have those conversations. Try, try not to be worried about having to apologize because it's, you know, those conversations with others are, I mean, they're therapeutic, you know, it's like, Hey, you're not the only one going through this. I, I had a really good conversation with another close friend from Sanford the other day. I, I won't. Yeah. You know, I won't name him currently, but, you know, he was just saying, like, dude, we feel stuck. And, you know, he and his wife, growing family, uh, awesome, awesome family, great people, genuinely, you know, good people and wildly successful in what they do. But, you know, there's some circumstances, jobs-wise, that, you know, also relevance to certain areas where they live that prevent them from, you know, just being able to pick up and move right now. And and it's, you know, and I was like, hey, brother, like, I'm right there with you. Like, we're, we're busting at the seams, but you know, and we, we do need a slightly bigger home. I'm not looking for the big mansion, but you know, slightly, you know, bigger home would be helpful, but I'm not doing it at 8% interest rate. Right. Yeah. And so it's like having those conversations is a good reminder. And this is where I get caught up, right. As a father, I feel like a, a lot of times I feel I've let my family down. Like I've done something wrong in the reality is we're all going through it. We just need to talk more about it. Have that community. That's what this podcast is. It's do. funny too, that as you say that, cause like, we were just seeing family in North Georgia and it's a really old family cabin that is, I don't know how it's still standing. If I'm being honest, like, you know, they replaced foundation and it was literally stacked. Riverstone was the base of the foundation for this thing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But we were talking about what it used to be. And it was literally at one point, one bedroom, 
a, a, a little like living room kitchen air, a li living room, dining room area and a bathroom. And there were five people that lived there. And it's like, you know, we get into this modern world of you, everyone's got to have their own 800 square foot bedroom and the private this and yep. private that. And it's like, yep. don't get me wrong. Those things are nice to have, but are they truly a necessity in life? No, no. I'm often no. envious of the no. people who have just like the flip phone. Like I've been <laughs> the same world with you yeah. where like, I don't have work. I don't have email on my phone. And so I tell people, I'm like, if you need me bad enough, if it's important enough, you'd already have my cell phone is my mindset. Exactly. And so I'm like, if it's important enough, if it's an email, I can wait till eight o'clock tomorrow. Like it can wait. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, my computer's open eight to five after that computer shut. I'm not looking at email. Um, Got it. but it. you know, I wish a lot of times I could go back to a flip phone day and like, not just not have any of the distractions, but it's like, that's just not what I do. You know, well, I mean, but we're so we're so you know locked into them, right? Like you you have withdrawals. I mean, have you have you had that that fake vibration? Like you think you've had a vibration, and it's not a real vibration, right? Oh yeah. Like, that's all all the more reason why we have to separate from this as best as we can. And I mean, I remember not putting email on my phone, and it was I mean, first couple of days, like I was stressed about it, right? And it's but it's been very very beneficial to me right so i i hear you on that i, I am in theus as someone on flip phone i just i can't commit to that i'll, I'll own that right now I, I have to stay a little bit more in tune but i am trying to be more self-aware of social media consumption screen time in general and be present with my kids because you know and i want to talk briefly about north georgia before we kind of wrap but the um you know you go to you know restaurants today and, and you see 20 year olds just you know a guy guy and his you know his girlfriend you know they're sitting there they're not dating they're on instagram tiktok whatever i don't even have a tiktok but it's like they're, they're that's not dating right i see families doing i see a 17 year old 15 year old kid and, and mom or dad are all just sitting there like that that's not the parent i want to be i, I want to be in the moment with my kids yeah we get sucked into that sometimes and i i tend to catch myself in the restaurant if we're both sitting there on our phone i'm like what am i doing like, it's one thing if it's something yeah. relevant. Hey, somebody sends you something or calls you, whatever. But, like, nine times out of ten, I'm just mindlessly on my phone because I am I have an inkling of boredom in my life. <laughs> just just yeah. the faintest bit of boredom, and I'm like, I need stimulation. Like, let me go into this yeah. thing and look at a screen to give me – And, you know, it's funny because in, in North Georgia, there's still no cell service there. We got – you, you've been once nice. you've been once but we got some wi-fi but i'm not a napper in any way like i i don't i haven't napped since i was home when we first had the baby like i'm just not a napper last saturday i fell asleep twice in the same day because i wasn't on my phone and i'm just laying there and i'm exhausted but i just kind of i'm laying out on a porch and the rain starts coming down and i'm like you know what I feel real good. I just yep. kind of dozed off and fell asleep. And I was like, this is, this is great. Like, is. this is great. So, yeah. I mean, that's for me, like that's same thing, man, that front porch of the house or you know, the, at the farmhouse, that's phone stays inside. There are, there are no other distractions. It's, it's that and that's it. And I have, I have fallen asleep in a probably a $15 white plastic Walmart chair and Woken up with a crick in my neck, but it's been some of the best I, sleep of my life. I am the world's worst about getting off of my phone. So this is by no means a, you know, high and mighty me. 
but um, no, no, I. Get but that. yeah, it. Well, hey, let's. Uh, speaking of, uh, sorry, no. Charles, but speaking of, of Northwest Georgia, <laughs> probably one of the most oh. unique evenings of my life was spent with you and three other solid tubing men. in the pitch black of night down a river. What was supposed to be a a short tubing experience turned into six hours of tubing in pitch black. It was darkness. something like that, um, it, you know, for some context. We tubed down this river every summer as kids. And it had been, I don't know, eight years at that time when when me and you and a group of us from college went. And um, we put in in a different spot than normal, much higher up. That we, like, we never used to put in at this, like, mouth of the water. And so we put in higher and we got out lower and around every turn, everybody was like, is this it? I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's right around this corner. And it was newsflash. It wasn't around that corner. It was 18 wow. corners later. I mean, we are all purple and shaking and freezing because it's August, but guess what? Yeah. It doesn't matter when you're in the water and it's pitch black, it gets cold. And uh, gosh, you know, as, as miserable as we were in the moment, that was one of the most fun and memorable days of my life, I think. And I mean, it, it comes up anytime any one of the five of us get together. That's the first story all of us go to is like, hey, remember when, you know, this happened? And it's a great time. I'll never forget it, man. It's it's definitely one where I, you know, in the moment you're shivering, you know, your tail off. But at the end of the day, too, the the amount of comedy that took place in that six hour period of, I mean, from every end, you know, every person involved and every end that you could go with something. Well, it was probably the, the hardest laughing I've done to where I was hoarse. The next oh day yeah. We did it for six oh, hours. Oh yeah. Straight. And, and you know, at this point we're getting to the point cause I'm the last one that had kids in that group. And it's like, at this point where my mind goes, is like, all right, now we need to plan the family trip. And, and, you know, do it in a couple of years with the kiddos and go down the river. Obviously, a, a much more condensed version and not quite as long, but like <laughs> take them on that same river and, and, you know, go do the whole mountain experience because it's like, yeah, we, uh, it certainly wasn't the glamping thing. I mean, we, we kind of got out in the woods and it was a, uh, it was a good time though. It was, it was a, a great I, memory. I loved it. I'd go back tomorrow and do it all again. That, like knowing how much fun we had. Oh gosh, yeah. I think there were a few. There was a certain individual. We we will not name names. There was a certain individual. I think ready to murder basically the two of us because you and I were cutting up the most. The person fun. the most. The person great. the most miserable tubing down the river was the Eagle Scout. Was one of the Eagle Scouts <laughs> on the trip, which was the irony of it. But I was I was one of the Eagle Scouts too. But I, I legitimately out about it. Feral, I, I, you know, I'm just saying. I legitimately thought I ruined a friendship. <laughs> I remember JB was close to me no. and I said, Hey, is he ever going to forgive me for this? Cause I mean, I thought I was written out of the books for him as a friend for life. No. Oh. And then, and then two hours, two hours after we end, we're, we're playing a uh, multiplayer Mario Kart in the basement of yeah. the cabin. So no, no, yeah. that was always well. It was yeah, hilarious. That was but funny. I forgot about that. It, in the moment, I, I can see where you might have thought that. Oh, yeah. I see oh, yeah. I, I was not as friend I mean, in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but listen, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, those experiences, you know, good intentions, sometimes some things happen 
but at the end of the day, it was still a fun time. It was a great yeah, time. They live on. We need more of that. We, we need more of that as men. We need more of that as fathers because as much as we need to be there for our children, you, you, we need to be around other men to talk about what's going on and also kind of reset ourselves as well so we can give more to our So kids. let me ask you one thing. I know you're about to wrap it. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Have and, – and, and putting you on the spot a little bit, I didn't ask you this beforehand. Have you, have okay. you read anything good lately? Yeah, actually, I read a lot. Um, so you're a better man than me. I... <laughs> so I, I try to read a, a mixture of both fiction uh, and and nonfiction. Um, but I, I'm finally wrapping up the third uh, Edmund Morris, uh, the, the trilogy of Theodore Roosevelt. So it's his third book on on Theodore Roosevelt. So I'm nearing the completion of that, but. Um, I think I've got a couple of books I've picked up recently, but I think I'm going to be focusing more um, on, on a few other business-related, I think, opportunities in the near future. Some some books that are more focused on, you know, management skill set. You know, making sure that I'm continuing to grow there. Um, there's um, there's an individual coming to town, uh, Rob Luna. He's going to be here in Nashville, and he's got a really good, you know, book out about you know financial management. Mm. As you know, as I grow, you know. Having three kids, I've got three college funds, and I've got two daughters, and that means I've got two weddings. And if if, if southern if southern rules still apply by the time they're getting married, I'll have two weddings to pay for. Um, God help God me. God help but, you. Uh, you know, it's it, it, I'm trying to make sure that I'm making the right decisions now, um, which is why we budget. You know, to make sure that you know all that's handled and taken care of. I I don't want to be, you know, I I don't want to be missing opportunities, and so. That's, that's what, you know, I asked you the question, like, what are you working towards? That's what I'm trying to work towards is, you know, the, the final, kind of the final checkbox of, you know, long-term financial management, right? That, that's my kind yeah. of final piece. Well, interesting. But, well, there you go. But it's, um, you know, not, we're not spending money or anything like that, but, you know, just, you know, where to save and how to invest. That's, that's what we're focused on. It's right always now. the question. So, but it is, and I'm not an expert in it. I mean. People buy from us because we're experts in our fields and we invest with others that are experts. Yep, that's it. That's the best we can do. Brother, I can't thank you enough yeah, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it was fun. It's good to see you and, and thank you for uh, thank you for being number yeah, one. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. So, you, you need to come up to the farm and have a cigar with me on the porch and we'll catch Dude, up. you tell me when. I'm not that far anymore. I know. Well, I, I've got some availability, not this week, but next. So Heck, next I, might, week, I might be closer than you at this point. You, I think you are. Actually. Yeah, I, I think you are. I'm, I'm an hour and fifteen minutes to the door. I don't. So, I don't even uh, think it's an hour probably, for me. Yeah. Well, if you come, you need to uh, just. I need to stop at Bucky's, and my wife likes those Bucky's gummy bears. You can just pick up. They're a pretty good. For my wife, that'd be great. They are. They're dangerous. They'll get you. Well, thanks, buddy. All right, dude. Well, thanks for being here, man. I'll talk Bye. to you soon.